0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. The largest embassy in the world is the United States Embassy in Baghdad, Iraq. And at its peak in 2012, it reached a total staff of 16,000 employees. This embassy meets in this fortified complex on 104 acres of land, which is nearly as large as the Vatican City. Um, It has six apartment buildings, a gym, a movie theater, several tennis courts, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And to avoid the need for allowing um, locals to have to come on, they have their own water and waste treatment. They have their own fire department. They're connected to their own power grid, and they have all their own connections to the outside. And um, it's pretty cool stuff. And for those who don't know, um, an embassy is a body of representatives sent to a foreign country to represent their home country's government. Sometimes the embassy is confused with the chancery, which is actually the building, um, but the embassy is the body. The embassy is the people. Um, They're normally led by an ambassador who represents us um, or represents the country that sent them. And normally this body lives in houses and they kind of scatter and live in different houses in the area and then they gather together at the chancery to operate together as a body, Um, except for when they're in a place like Baghdad, um, they live on the complex, which I don't think I need to explain why. Um, But an embassy has delegated authority from their sending country. It's important to know it's delegated. Um, It comes from their sending country. Um, And so they represent and speak for their sending country. They represent them in diplomatic relations. They verify citizenship for members of their sending country. They, um, in some places, are allowed to spread um, positive awareness about their sending country to the place that they're located. And if you're wondering why in the world I'm giving you all this information about embassies, Um, It's because I thought it was interesting. It has nothing to do with the message. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's because an embassy provides um, one of the best modern day examples of the institutional side of the church. You can look at the church as an organic side, and then you can also see it from an institutional side. Um, And when you're thinking of what the church is or who the church is in terms of its nature and mission, an embassy provides a really helpful modern day example. Um, Last week, if you were here, you know that we kind of ended our sermon by pointing to that organic side of the church, that we're a body of Christ, that we represent Jesus, that we're God's vehicle to bring Christ to this place, and we're to represent him. We walked through the entire Bible last week, and we saw that where Adam failed to represent God, where Israel failed to represent God, Jesus perfectly succeeded. He was the image of God, the radiance of his glory, because he is God And the church now is the body of Jesus, and we represent him. That's kind of the organic side, and that's more of the why of the church. We are to display God's glory. That's the why behind the church. It's an incredible purpose that we've been kind of swept up into, that we get to be a part of. Um, But today, we're going to look more at the what of a church. And again, um, we're going to go to our embassy illustration. And I'm going to argue from Matthew 16 and 18 that the church is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And that its members of the church, as one pastor put it, are card-carrying citizens of heaven who represent Jesus. And so as I was thinking about this this week, you could look at a map of the world, and you could see America. And then you could look at all of the different embassies all around the world in different countries. And you could kind of imagine that they're connected because they are connected and they represent America all around the world. They represent the United States. And and then I started thinking about this, and, and I thought, man, this is incredible because we've got heaven, and, and, and God has established these embassies all around the earth that are meant to represent him. They're meant to have his delegated authority. They're meant to speak on his behalf through the word. Um, they're meant to verify citizens of heaven. Um, and we've got this incredible, incredible, complex, awesome institution all around the world. We're just one local outpost of the kingdom. But the kingdom is the biggest, most awesome thing going on in the world today. Um, And in some countries where it's illegal, it's spreading like wildfire right now. You should really look into what's happening in the church overseas. But we in Port Austin are the local embassy of the kingdom of God. It's an incredible thing. And so those of you who are members of this church um, are card carrying citizens of heaven um, who have said, I'm part of this local embassy and I represent him here in Port Austin we can look at that person and say, they're a citizen of heaven because they're a member of this local embassy. Um, and it's an awesome, awesome thing. And so when you step foot into this assembly, not necessarily this building, but within this assembly, um, you are stepping into an embassy of heaven. Here, we bow to King Jesus. He is our Lord and he is our Savior. He is our sovereign. We submit to his laws um, as given in his word. We worship him and by his grace, we attempt to reflect his character the lives that we live that that's just an awesome thing and and I thought man how cool is it when I was studying embassies and I'm studying I'm like the embassy isn't the building it's the body and the church isn't the building it's the body and it's there's just so many parallels that I thought was so helpful and so we're going to look at Matthew 16 um if you haven't turned there yet you will want to turn there because I want you to see this um, in the word not just from from what I'm telling you I want you to see it in the word for yourself And while you're turning there, I want to just give you a bulky definition of the church, just right out of the gate. um, This is from the 1853 New Hampshire Confession of Faith. It's a little bit um, modernized. I kind of smoothed it out to to make it a little easier to understand. But they say this, and we agree, um, we believe a visible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers joined together by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. Um, That's the simple, and then they kind of unpack that. A visible church observes the ordinances of Christ, submits to his laws, and exercises the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word. The only scriptural offices of a church are elders, also called overseers or pastors and deacons, whose qualifications and duties are defined in the epistles to Timothy and Titus. Like I said, a very bulky definition, Um, and we're actually, throughout this series, going to unpack every part of that. Um, But for now, I just want you to see that first line. We believe a visible church of Christ is a congregation of baptized believers joined together by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. So, First of all, we're a church of Christ, okay, a visible church of Christ, and so that means we represent Christ, we represent him, we represent his kingdom, we are given his delegated authority to us, okay, that's the first part of that definition. Next, notice we're a congregation, okay, we're a body, we're a people, all right, also we're believers, and so we're those who have said, we believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again and we're resting in him alone to save us. And we've publicly identified with him in baptism. Um, and just as he went down into the ground for me and, and came up, I go down into that water and, 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 and publicly tell the world, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm identifying with him publicly. So we're a congregation of baptized believers. We're joined together by covenant covenant. Um, First of all, through our covenant relationship with God, through the new covenant, which I um, don't have time to unpack completely right now, but also in covenant with one another. Um, Because basically, you can see it this way. When you were born again and adopted into God's family, um, you weren't just done that in isolation. It was like all of a sudden you're there and you're at the table and you've got brothers and sisters all around and you're at the king's table. And so by nature, we were baptized into a body of people. And so we need to understand that we're joined together by covenant in the faith of the gospel. That's what we believe. And in the fellowship of the gospel, that's how we live together as believers. And so that's a bulky definition, but we're going to show you that now here in Matthew 16. So if you want to look at verse 13, here Jesus takes his disciples away for some important teaching before he's about to enter his latter Judean ministry. And in verse 13, he says this. Now, when Jesus came into the, district, into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, these would have been expected answers based on the Messianic expectations of the time. The Jews were expecting this Messiah figure, the Savior to come and usher in the rule and reign of God. And there was all these promises in the Old Testament. And so these are kind of the best guesses of the public. But then he turns this question directly to his disciples and he says to them in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Now, this is the most important question that anyone can answer in this life. Who do you believe Jesus is? That's so important. Who do you believe Jesus is? Your answer to that question determines your eternal destiny. Who is Jesus? As usual, Peter is the first to speak. If you're familiar with Peter. And that seems to be something he loves to do. Um, Sometimes he ends up putting his foot in his mouth. But here, something really cool happens. He, He stands up to speak and he speaks for the entire group. We believe in verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is absolutely incredible. By referring to Jesus as the Christ, he's saying that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior, the Messiah, the one who has come from God to usher in salvation for his people. And I don't think they had a full-orbed understanding of that yet at this point, but it's so true that Jesus is the Christ, the one who came to bring the rule and reign of God and to save his people from their sins. And not only that, Peter also calls him the son of the living God, pointing to his eternal nature and deity. So the question is, how did Peter just nail it? Like, how did he ace this test? Like, how did he come to this conclusion? Was he just smarter than others? Did, did the disciples maybe um, focus on Jesus more and they just kind of understood it? Well, no. In verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter didn't come to this belief on his own. This was a supernatural revelation from God himself. And can I say, if you're here today and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world, and you believe he's the Son of God, and you're resting in him alone for salvation, you didn't come to that belief on your own. This is a marvelous revelation from God. Brother and sister, you ought to just fall on your knees before God and just be so in awe that he would reveal that to you. Like, you're not smarter than others, and that's not what made you believe. God revealed that to you. He awakened your dead heart. He pointed you to Christ and you trusted in him for salvation. This brings us to the heart of our text this morning, where next Jesus says this, and I will tell you, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here, Jesus uses a play on words with Peter. In the Greek, it would sound like this. You are Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. And and quick commercial break. We're going to wrestle with this during table talk today because it's a very hotly debated topic. There's a lot of different views on... What is the rock? And, and I, added, I had like two pages in my notes for today that I was going to explain to you. Um, and then I realized we're just not going to be able to do that. The sermon will be like an hour. So I put it into table talk. Um, but just in summary form, Jesus is going to build his church on this gospel truth. Um, and all those who believe it, that he is the Christ, the Savior of the world and the eternal Son of God. Okay, he's going to build his his church on the gospel and on those who believe the gospel. That's why Peter later calls us living stones. We're the new temple because we are indwelt by the Spirit. We're the body of Christ, and um, just a really remarkable truth. and And I have explained that before in past messages, but we, we have to move on. Um, and 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 I know, I know you should. You, you're dying to know more, and so stay for table talk. Right, a little commercial break. Okay, let's resume programming. All right. This is a remarkable promise, though. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus says here, I'm going to build my church. Do you realize like for us, like for a little church in Port Austin, a little church plant, like do you realize how awesome that is? That Jesus is going to build his church, that Jesus is going to build this assembly. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? I've preached on this in the past, and I used Joey as an illustration. I said when when we were ever picking teams for basketball, we wanted Joey on our team. Because if Joey's on our team, he's going to dunk on the other people, and we're going to win. Right? And in a similar sense, I want you to think about this. Jesus is on our team. The eternal Son of God. The one who created all this. But by the word of his power, the one who's sustaining it right now, he will build this church. Do you understand that? And you understand that it's not our program, it's not our methods, it's not our abilities, it's not anything of us that's going to build this church. It's Jesus who's going to build the church. And notice that it's his church, right? It's his, which means he's purchased it by his precious blood, and he takes personal responsibility for its well-being. This is remarkable. Like, if this wasn't in the Bible, I don't know if I'd be a pastor. If it was on me, no way, I'll get, a, I'll get an honest job but it's on Jesus, (laughs) right? He's going to build his church. And so we just got to be faithful to his word and trust in his power. Listen, it's always been by the power of God through the word of God and the spirit of God that builds the church. It's not methods. It's not programs. It's not us. It's Jesus. He's building his church. And, And again, it's not really the heart of the message today, but I just had to say, this is a remarkable promise. And notice the gates of hell won't prevail against us. In ancient times, cities were surrounded by these walls with gates. And in the battles, the gates of the cities were kind of the first place um, that their enemies would attack. And so because of this, the protection of the city was really determined by the strength and power of its gates. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, this is my church. I'm going to personally build this church. And it's going to be unstoppable. Nothing in this life or the next will stop it. Not even the powers of death and hell can stop the church. This church right here is a community that will never die. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Man, I wish we could stay longer here, but we must move on. Verse 19, Jesus continues talking to Peter here. He says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So after saying he's going to build his congregation using believers who who properly confess that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he he says he's going to give Peter a set of keys that can be used to bind and loose. So that brings us to our first question today. What are the keys of the kingdom? What are the keys of the kingdom? Well, we know that keys represent authority and access, right The, the ability to open and close doors that others can't. And interestingly enough, I'm using Joey again as an illustration today. I didn't plan that, but it just happened. Um, Joey is the head of maintenance at Caseful Schools. And because of this, um, he has been granted the authority um, with this set of keys to access every part of the property. To, certain, to access certain parts of the school, you've got to go through Joey. So if some Joe Schmo comes along and says, hey, I need to get a chainsaw out of the garage, he's going to say, hold up, I need to see some proper identification, Right. It represents authority. Joey can go where others can't go. Joey can stop people from going where, where he can go. And this is a helpful but imperfect illustration of the keys in this verse. Like Joey, Peter has been given a set of keys. that give him authority and access. But these are the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Like, no offense, Joey, but these kind of trump your keys, right? <laughs> so let's go back to our Joe Schmo illustration, okay? Joe Schmo comes up to Peter, claims to be a citizen of heaven. Wants the rights and privileges of the kingdom. And Peter will say, Hold up, sir, I'm going to need some identification. Right? This is where the set of keys, though, is a little bit different because this set of keys is giving Peter the authority to bind and to loose. And so, what does that mean? Well, right after Peter um, is giving the keys in verse 19, Jesus says this Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And, and it's important to know there that in the Greek, and I know you're like, ah, oh, you're going to glaze over because he said Greek, but just hear me out. It says, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. So it's confirming what took place in heaven. Okay, it's important to know that. But in terms of binding and loosing here, this also, like keys, represents authority. This is similar to a judge who determines whether a law is binding in a specific situation. Okay, that's the binding and the loosing. So what is binding here? And so Peter here is given the authority to not just have access and authority in the kingdom, but also to determine what is binding for citizens of the kingdom. To determine the right and wrong conduct for citizens. To go back to our embassy illustration, when we send out an embassy, a body of representatives, we have conduct that we want them to live by. And if they dishonor that conduct, they're no longer representing us faithfully, and we pull them off the field. Okay, and so in summary, Jesus is giving Peter... Some really powerful kingdom authority here. The keys represent authority and access, the ability to bind and loose. So you could put it this way. If you're lost, here's a summary. The keys give Peter the authority to answer these questions. Who is a true citizen of heaven? And what is the proper conduct for citizens of heaven? All right, so let's go back to Joe Schmo one more time. Okay, Joe Schmo decides to visit his local embassy of heaven, a.k.a. the local church, where Peter is pastoring he wants to take part in the activities and privileges of, of citizens of the kingdom, like membership in the Lord's Supper. Peter's going to ask him some questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the only true Savior, who died for your sins and rose again? Have you repented of your sins, and are you resting in Jesus alone for salvation? Have you publicly identified yourself with Jesus in baptism, where you're buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life? And will you submit to King Jesus and by his grace live for his purposes. Those are some basic elementary Christian questions, but those questions determine whether someone is a citizen of heaven or not, whether they have access to the rights and privileges of a local assembly, a local church. Now, it's important to note again, this is delegated authority. It's Christ and his word that ultimately determines who is a citizen and how citizens conduct themselves. But Peter here has the delegated authority to verify, to verify who is a citizen and to tell them, through the word of Christ, how citizens ought to live. Again, this is, goes back to our embassy illustration. If you go to an embassy in a foreign country, they can't, they can't give you citizenship, but they can verify whether or not you are. You can come in, you can show me your identification, they can look you up and say, yes, you're a citizen, you have the rights and privileges of this country that we represent. And so, here's a crucial question, though. If Peter has the keys of the kingdom... And he determines who gets to come based on his authority from Christ. And he determines how citizens live. And, and he's dead, long gone. And what do we do today? Like, How can we determine today who are true citizens and, and how citizens ought to live? And so you can put the question this way. Who has the keys today? Like, Peter. And by the way, this is where um, that old analogy when you get to heaven. And St. Peter's at the door and he says, well, actually, that's from this. But it's, it's really just not helpful at all. But anyways. The question is, who has the keys today, right? Because we, we need to know, like all of us want to know if we're citizens of heaven, we want to know how to conduct ourselves as citizens of, of heaven. And so who has the keys? Well, that's a great question. And I'm so glad you asked. Um, so turn with me to Matthew 18 now. And We're going to get an example here of how the authority of the keys is to be used. Now, I know this is more of a teaching um, sermon, and and I don't apologize for that because we need teaching, um, but just stay with me, okay? So just kind of shake up. If you need to stand, you can, but just stay with me. Who has the keys today? Let's look at Matthew 18. Here, Jesus is going to give an example of how the keys are to be used, and he's going to give a lesson on what to do when people in the church sin, when there's disputes within the church, and and we're going to cover that in a minute, but for now, I just want you to notice in verse um, 18, because we're going to see the same terms binding and loosing here, and so that, so when you're reading along in Matthew, and you read 16, where Peter's giving these keys, and he can bind and loose, and then you get to 17, you get to 18, and you see binding and loosing again, that's a, that's a, okay, I should connect this to 16, and figure out what this means, okay, and, and again, we're going to look at the whole context in a minute. Um, but just a quick thing before I read this. Jesus here, when he says you in this verse, it's actually plural in the Greek. And so even though um, we're not a church in the South, to help you understand this, I'm going to substitute the word you for y'all, okay? Um, so let's read this verse, Matthew 18, 18. Jesus is speaking here, and he's actually speaking to the entire church now, just to, not just to Peter. And he says, truly I say to y'all, whatever y'all bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever y'all loose on earth shall be loose in heaven sounds like a little disrespectful um sorry jesus i don't think jesus would say y'all no um no offense to the southerners okay but but you get what i'm saying he's saying to you as a group you as an assembly okay and and again we're going to look at the context in a minute to verify this but what this says right here in 18 two chapters after peter was given this authority. All the disciples are given the authority, and he actually is talking to the church as a whole. He's pointing to a future time when the church as a whole is going to have this authority. Jesus finishes the passage in verse 19. He says, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So, to go back to our question, who has the keys today? The answer is the church does. The church, Jesus says to the church as a whole, Whatever you bind on earth, whatever you determine is, is binding for citizens of heaven or not, will be bound in heaven. All right. And so that's really important to understand. Now, this doesn't take away from the unique authority that those original apostles had. This is just pointing forward to the time when the church as a whole will be given this authority through the word of God. So let me kind of summarize this for you. Christ took this keys, these keys, handed them to the apostles. The early church recognized these apostles as Christ's representatives. And they submitted to their authority. This is why in Acts 2, 42, it says the the disciples were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay, And so this teaching was then codified in a book, which we call the New Testament. And once the apostles passed from the scene, the New Testament became the sole marching orders from Christ and his kingdom. And so as a local assembly, our marching orders um, that we submit to here is the New Testament given from Christ through the apostles to the church. And so, in summary, we have the keys today. The the local assembly, the local church, has the keys to the kingdom. Okay, We've been given this authority to answer the question, who is a citizen of heaven? And how should citizens of heaven live? What should their conduct or life be? Again, this is delegated authority from the word. So a moment a local assembly goes a little bit haywire and goes outside the word, they lose that authority. Just like an embassy overseas, if they stopped representing us well, um, we would pull them off the field. Um, In a similar way, a church no longer is a church with kingdom authority when they act outside the word of God. But this brings us to one final question. How do we use these keys today? Right? Like, what do we do with these keys? Well, I gave you the example of Peter earlier with Joe Schmo. Um, And so here we're going to give an example from Jesus himself in Matthew 18. So jump back up to verse 15. All right. Verse 15, this is the context of what we just read about the keys. Jesus says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. Don't blow it up. Don't vent to others. Don't go behind his back and talk bad about it. Just go to him. Just go to him and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Verse 18, Truly I say to y'all, whatever y'all bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever y'all loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So, earlier I told you that this binding and loosing had to do with conduct of the citizens of heaven, how they ought to live, right? Those, of, those who call themselves citizens of heaven should live like that's true. And Christ taught how his citizens should act. And so here we're given an example of what happens when someone who claims to be a citizen of heaven is no longer living like a citizen of heaven. How do we handle this? Well, This is, this is where the keys come in. Okay, This is where the church has to submit to Jesus and to, and to him as our king and as our Lord and to his laws. But notice how gentle this process is within the church. It's slow. It begins privately. It gives numerous opportunities for reconciliation. And the goal, listen, the goal is always to restore fellowship within the church. It's not to use the keys um, to beat people over the head and to to use our authority in a a bludging way. No, it's gentle. It's restorative. It's it's kind. And it may take several months or even longer for a process like this to go through. Now to help us to understand this, I'm going to give you a modern day example. I heard a pastor do this um, by using himself. Um, I'm like, that's wise. You know, if I use any of you as an illustration in sin, um, it, it just might not go well. So I'm just going to use me. All right. So let's say that I have a group of the guys here in the church over for a sports game at the house. All right, We're having a good time watching the game. Things are great. But while you're over, um, the group starts to notice that I'm, I'm kind of mean to my wife. I'm not treating her kindly. I mean, it gets to the point where you feel at the end of the, at the, end of the night that I'm actually verbally abusive with her. All right, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just not treating her like a husband ought to treat her. And so several of the guys are discouraged by this. And let's say that Kenny, pick on Kenny, let's say that he's there and he wants to obey Jesus' teaching on this. And so he says, okay, I'm going to go directly to Michael. I'm going to talk to him about this. So let, So let's say Kenny approaches me and he lovingly confronts me in my sin. Maybe he does so in the form of questions. He's gentle right? He just doesn't come in hot with an accusation. He just kind wants of wants me to see that this is a problem in my life. And so he's gentle and he's asking me, he's trying to gently show me the error of my ways. And let's say I get super defensive with Kenny. I said, get out of here. Don't try to run my life. So at that point, let's say Kenny says, well, you know, Keith and John were there. And so I'm going to call them up and, and see what they thought about this and, and see if maybe I'm overreacting, you know, and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was just my perspective. And he calls up Keith and John, and, and they were at the game, and they kind of agree, yeah, yeah, pastor, was, he wasn't treating his wife well. Like, that was not right for someone who claims to be a Christian. And so together, they approach me again, gently, calmly, restoratively, just trying to show me the error in my ways. i will say, once again, I blow them off. Now, at this, in this situation, because I'm a pastor, you should remove me from leadership, okay? But let's just, for the sake of illustration, I'm a member. I'm just a regular member. Okay, so what do we do next? Well, next, um, you would bring this to the church as a whole. That's what Jesus says to do. And so at a members meeting, Kenny would stand up and say something like this. Church, this brother of ours has sinned. He's committed a terrible sin. I have gently confronted him, and he's refused to listen. I brought others with me again, and he's again refused. I'm heartbroken over this, and I'm pleading with you now collectively as a body to reach out to this brother in hopes that he will be restored. Again, no official action has taken place yet. He says, tell it to the church. And then if you won't listen to the church. So at this point, the church is going to plead. And again, this may take several months. If I'm just a member and I'm in sin and, and people have confronted me and I don't like it, I'm probably not going to be coming um, to the assembly. So the church is reaching out with text and, and saying, we love you, brother. And, 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 the, and the ground is level at the foot of the cross and, and things like that. And, and trying to restore me, right? But if I refuse again then I have to be removed from membership at that point. That's what Jesus says. He says to treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector, someone who's outside the covenant community, someone who doesn't have the rights and privileges of a citizen in the embassy of heaven. It would be something like this. They would say, brother, you are acting, you are not acting as a citizen of heaven. As someone who's been forgiven by the blood of Christ, you are unwilling to repent and lay that sin down at the cross. And we are pleading with you to do so. Um, And since you haven't repented and with tears and broken hearts, we can no longer see the marks of someone who believes the gospel and we can no longer give you access to the rights and privileges of this assembly. And so at that point, I would no longer be a member. I would no longer be allowed to take the Lord's Supper. It's important to note that I personally hold the view that someone who is under this situation um, would be welcome to come and hear the preached word still. The door of the church is wide open for anybody of all different backgrounds, of all different beliefs. And we're not going to enforce our stuff on them as far as, as they can come and hear. Um, but they just can't be a member. Why? Because a member is someone that we as a church corporately point to and say, look at this person if you want to see Jesus. They're a card-carrying citizen of, the hev- of heaven. You can look at them and you can see Jesus. But when someone starts living like Jesus, we can't do that anymore. So you're welcome to come worship with us or, or sit and hear the preached word in hopes that there will be restoration. But we, we, with broken hearts and tears, we can no longer call you a member of our church. This practice, as you can imagine, is not really practiced today in churches. It's just not because it's kind of scary, right? We don't want to be mean, but it's loving and it's always meant to be restorative. And I hope after hearing this, that all of you will stay for table talk today so we can wrestle with what this looks like, right? Because some of you are like, what? Like, are you sure about this? Like, we're supposed to do that today in 2021? Sure, that wasn't just for that time. But no, it's very clear that we're supposed to do this. Because again, church membership is like receiving a jersey for Team Jesus. The corporate church, the team has said, this person is on the team. And, and when they stop living like a representative, they no longer can, can represent Jesus, okay? Um, now, go back to our embassy illustration. Let's say we've got an ambassador in a foreign country. Um, he's got our stamp of approval. We tell the people of that foreign country, look at this ambassador. He represents us. He speaks for us. He, he works and lives in our behalf. But when he stops, let's say he starts trashing our country. Or let's say he stops living according to our values. We're pulling him off the field, right? We can't point to him and say, this represents America anymore. And, and that's what's going on here. Again, it's a much slower process in the church. Um, very, very slow. And I agree with Jonathan Lehman, who argues this should only take place in matters of outward, serious, and unrepentant sin. All right? So hopefully, step one stops this whole thing from happening. Right? I'm confronted, and I agree. You know what, brother? That was wrong of me. I need to work on that. I need some accountability. Can you keep me accountable that I would speak to my wife in a way that shows that I love her like Christ loves the church? All right? That's the goal. And so we need to understand this. Now, there are situations where it might be quicker. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul, this confirms Jesus' teaching on this, by the way. 1 Corinthians 5. Apostle Paul is just shocked that this Corinthian church has a member in their midst who's committed this grievous sin. Okay, 1 Corinthians 5 says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. Listen to this. For a man has his father's wife. And, are, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this, listen, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Why? Paul's saying this man's sin um, is wrong. It's evil. It's grievous. And it's important to note here that, that Paul here is addressing the whole church because the whole church has the keys, not the church leaders. I don't make this call. Like, if I see something where a citizen's not acting appropriately, I bring it to the church, and we discuss this together. And so, Paul, he's talking to the whole church. He says, you need to exclude this man. You have told the city of Corinth that he's a member of Christ's body, and that he represents Jesus, and he's got his father's wife, and you're letting him take the Lord's Supper. You're letting him have, be a member in your church. And, and so, it's so important here that we understand, again, that we're an embassy of Christ in his kingdom. We represent him. We're display his glory in this place. And so we ought to be holy like he is holy and live lives that represent Jesus in this world. Now, if we go back to our definition at the beginning, we're wrapping things up, okay? We are a congregation of baptized believers joined together by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, all right? And what I'm arguing is that we're an embassy of heaven. The church has been given this authority to affirm and oversee one another's citizenship in the kingdom, again to help you kind of summarize all this what do the keys do what do we do with them we use them to ask what is a true citizen of heaven and what is the proper conduct for citizens of heaven that's why if you want to be a member here i'm I'm going to meet with you and, and i'm hopefully just going to welcome you with open arms but i'm going to ask some questions right do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he died for your sins and rose again? Are you trusting in him alone? Are you willing to publicly identify with him in baptism? Right? Like these are just basic questions. This is not like some bar that, that you have to reach some bar to get to. This is, this is really like, are you a Christian or not? Right? Do you believe the gospel or not? Okay? We're, we're all broken, bankrupt sinners who knew Jesus. This isn't some exclusive club. But you've got to be willing to say, I, I'm a sinner and I believe in Jesus. And I'm going to submit to him as my king. And so let's, let's make three quick applications. You're like, what? You know how long you've gone? I'm watching the time. Don't worry. Really quick. First of all, the church represents Christ in his kingdom. We've established that, but I just want to highlight that once again. The people of Huron County ought to be able to look at us and see a dimly lit picture of what God is like. And you're like, whoa, really? You're like, yeah. Like we're individually members of the body of Christ. We represent Jesus here. And that ought to, that ought to just compel us To say, man, by his grace, I want to represent him well, right? And an embassy that fails to accurately reflect the country they represent is a failure. And a church that fails to represent Christ is a failure. And so we're all about Jesus here, right? It's all about representing him. Number two, the church operates under delegated authority. I just want to highlight this again. Because the moment we step outside of the authority of the word, we lose our keys. We lose our authority. Right? So if I say, well, uh, this person doesn't have the same political views as me, and so I don't think they should be a member. No, you don't have the authority to do that. Well, this person annoys me, and so I don't think they should be a member. No, you don't have the authority to do that. We operate under delegated authority, just like an embassy. Okay? We don't actually make someone a citizen of heaven. God does that. We simply verify. That's the only authority we've been given. It's delegated. All right? And finally, this church is made up of citizens Of the kingdom. And we need to know this. Um, A true church needs to have members who are only actually believers in Christ. And we've got a lot of churches today filled with people who signed a card, but they don't really believe the gospel. Um, And we've got a mess in our hands because they're not representing God or Christ well at all in their area. And so we're going to be really, really careful that we only allow members into our midst that are truly believers. And so let me just highlight this again. The door of our church, wide open. I don't care what you believe. I don't uh, you come, you you are welcome here. But the door to membership is narrow, intentionally narrow. And I think that's loving to do so. And those who have become members, I'm going to give an account for. And so that's why this is so important. If I'm going to stand before God and give an account, I want to make sure you're a Christian. I don't want to give an account for someone who doesn't believe the gospel. And so again, we're going to unpack this more in in future weeks, but we we must be made up of those who are truly citizens of heaven and again this is not some bar some exclusive club this is like man we are just beggars who found bread um, in fact the, the guy brought the bread to us we didn't find him um and and we just want we just want you to come too right like we're bankrupt sinners who need a savior right and so it's so important to emphasize that and so as we close this week i want to encourage you with the words of paul from philippians 3 where he actually says our citizenship is in heaven how awesome is that our citizenship is in heaven right now we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and this is a local embassy of heaven and, and this is why i get a little bit frustrated when when christians get overly committed to certain political things because we should be able to stand outside as citizens and rebuke all of it right our allegiance is to jesus he's our king he's our lord we bow to him we go by his law Right Where his law interacts with politics, we call it out. Abortion is a sin. It's evil. It's murder. That's an example. But Jesus is our king, and we're citizens of heaven. That's where our allegiance lies. But, but here's what's awesome. He continues, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So in light of that, this is what Paul tells, tells them. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. In other words, he's saying this. You're a citizen of heaven. Jesus is coming back to get you. He's going to transform you into his likeness. And so in the meantime, stand firm in the Lord. Right? Keep living for his glory. And so here's my challenge this week. By God's grace and for his glory, let's live as citizens of heaven together. What a privilege. As you go out and you're this week with neighbors and, and coworkers and friends and family members, remember who you are. Remember that you're a citizen of heaven, that you represent him in this world. Let's be an embassy of heaven and represent Christ and his kingdom through our words, through our conduct. Let's reflect the character of our Lord in our individual lives and through the character of our congregation. Let's keep Jesus Um, first and foremost in our lives, let's keep our eyes on him. Let's stand firm in the Lord. By God's grace and for God's glory, let's live as citizens of heaven.